Welcome to Post Apocalyptic. This is Rob. Once again, John is on a vacation for a few weeks, so bringing back fan favorite, Jason. Hello there. You are now a fan favorite. Oh, wow. Happy to be here. Yeah. So we're going to sort of uh, go on a topic that John and I started a while back of how there's no more memorable TV theme songs and music anthems anymore. Or because, you know, back in the day, every TV show had like a two minute intro. You know, you had like the A-Team or uh, even Spider-Man had the theme and even, you know, Cosby Show, which is, you know, everyone had this theme that you remember. You hear a snippet of it now, you're like, I know what that's from. Right, or Family Ties or yeah, yeah, anything. Anything, Eight is Enough, Facts of Life. Now it's, you know. The Jeffersons. Actually, I just sang that one to my wife yesterday. Oh, nice. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on up. Because now, like you, because of timing and you have 20, 30 for a half hour show, they're not going to eat up their time with a minute intro. So now it's bum bum, title card. Right. But with that, too, is I don't know if it's maybe to go with sort of that topic is iconic cars, where I would definitely say from aside from James Bond, which they were all gadget based, but cars from like the 70s, 80s to even I sort of pinned it to about the Jurassic Park Explorer, even though mm. it was still just a regular Explorer with skin on it. It made the Explorer cool again. Yes. Uh, Smoking the Bandit Fire. But a lot of these were just regular cars, like the Starsky and Hutch car, the uh, A-Team van. Uh, none of them were super modded. I guess the only mod would be Kit, Knight Rider. Right. And then it's funny, like, if you take the mod too far, then, like, the show goes down, right? Remember, like, the Super Pursuit mode? Yeah. And all of that. Well, like, even in um, Corvette Summer, which is sort of an iconic car, they took that Corvette and just made it the worst looking Corvette ever. But I remember that car more than I remember the movie. Oh yeah, and that Mark Hamill's in it. Yeah, Mark Hamill's in it. Then you rewatch it going, oh my God, Annie Potts is in this. Oh, and that, really? Yeah, she's that. the girl. Oh. But once again, that's one of those movies that I remember more from the poster, Mark Hamill and the car. Yes, I very much remember the, uh, the VHS box in the local video store <laughs> and actually renting that movie at one point. Why do you think the, the car either went away or is it something we just don't recognize anymore because we can see him all the time? Because growing up, in every movie, it was the cool kid or the rich kid always had a Porsche. Didn't even matter the brand or make or anything. It was a Porsche. Right. And then, you know, you had, uh, you know, you had Tom Selleck driving a Ferrari. You had, you know, Miami Vice driving a Ferrari. These are cars we, growing up, didn't see. I never saw a Ferrari. I was in L.A. and never saw a Ferrari. Now I see a Ferrari probably once a day. Right. Yeah, they're a lot more common. You know, I don't know. It's not like they haven't tried to reboot. I mean, they tried to reboot Knight Rider. Mm-hmm. And that didn't really work. I mean, I guess in, in terms of like current franchises, the big one is still Fast and Furious. Right. And they've made, now have made like the Mark IV Supra, you know, super iconic. That was the orange one in the first film. Right. And that's what everybody, those are like going through the, you know, through the roof uh, money-wise. I mm-hmm. like bring a trailer now. Um, I mean, over $100,000 for a, you know, for a Supra. Wow. You know. Um, but that, I mean, that franchise is built on cars, so it kind of makes sense. Whereas right. a lot of these things we grew up with, it was, the A-Team wasn't about the van. The van just became cool because that's what the A-Team right. it was kind of a, It was kind of a character. Right. It, you know, and then Fast and the Furious was just about, like, here's a here's a movie about cars. And, and to being older, too, there's it, it's not about, oh, when I grow up, I'm going to buy that car. Right. I want to have the car um, Tom Selleck drives, you know, or I want the Magnum car, or I want the Firebird. You know, that Smoking the Bandit or even Rockford File. Right. There's a couple off the top of my head, I guess. Um, what's that show? Uh, the AMC Playing with Fire or... Ah. Halt. Halt and Catch Fire. Fire. But that's a retro show, though. Right. Yeah, driving a retro. He's got a 944 in that. What was the other one? I'll think of it. There's one other okay. one, though. That's like a, that's that kind of level of car. But yeah, that's true. That is... That is Oh, Ashes to, it was a show Ashes to Ashes, a British show. Okay. And he was driving an Audi Quattro in that. Oh, okay. And that was like a big, you know, that was a big deal too. Um, but that show hasn't been on probably for four or five years. Yeah. Um, but now most of the cars are just the pristine version of whatever product placement is. Like Tony Stark's going to drive an Audi. Right. Or whatever product placement, you know, you're going to see a show and it's like, oh, it's all Mercedes. Like even Jurassic World was all Mercedes, I think. Yes, yes, it was, yes. And where you and it felt so product placement, where in Jurassic Park, the Explorer felt, na- because they they put, a, you know, a skin over it. So it wasn't about promoting 
the Ford Explorer. You never heard Richard Hammond go, look at my Ford Explorers that I <laughs> currently mean. Whereas there was glamour shots of the Mercedes in Jurassic World. Right. Which wasn't, it didn't take anything away from the movie, but you could just tell the angles they chose were to, look, we got our Mercedes money. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we currently have seen it, like, with Black Panther, mm -hmm. like, with Lexus, yeah. like, the LC500, and that's, yeah, I mean, in that, you could almost hardly see the car, because it was at night, yeah. and it was, like, a dark blue, that car looked stunning in person, and you could hardly tell even, like, what it was, in, you know, in that movie, but that was purely, pro and too, uh, wasn't, yeah, they had the uh, Lexus also for the new Men in Black movie, right? Yes, I, yeah, 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 but I, and then you see the Lexus commercial promoting it, sort yes. of like... As terrible it was, which you actually took, if you want to follow Jason's car uh, Instagram, it's wiredcoyote928, but you actually took a photo of the Nissan Rogue, which yes. was Star Wars branded for Rogue One. Yeah, and that was that's kind of a bit of a stretch. It's like, well... We happen to have a car named Rogue. Yeah, and so it's like, we'll just tie that in somehow. And yeah, just did a quick bit of research. Um, they made 5,000 of those, and I guess people ponied up money for them. Uh, they made them, you know, both white and black, so it's like Darth Vader or like a stormtrooper, and it's basically okay. some badges and that, some floor mats that say Rogue One, right? And that's basically it. Um, and it's just sort of silly. no skin on it or anything. Like if it was from a distance, you wouldn't know. It looks like a Nissan. Yeah, it looks just like an ordinary Rogue, and you have to get up, you know, get up close. And I've seen, I've seen a total of two since okay. they came out. One like driving, and then this is the first one I ever saw parked. But that's not the first time they've had a movie, you know, a movie tie-in like that. That's sort of silly. No, I. It, I know. Remember, remember the Toyota Tundra from uh, Terminator 3, oh, yeah. which is what Claire Danes, right? Yes. That's what she's driving mm -hmm. in that movie. And then they, you know, so they kind of tied that in and came out with a T3 Toyota Tundra edition that you could buy. Terminator on the back of it and stuff. I think they made like a thousand of them. Wow. You know, maybe there's someone out there that collects it. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What's funny about that, actually, from what I know you hadn't seen it, but I remember there was a product placement in the Terminator show which it, I'm probably Toyota, but it was about, they had come out with a uh, one of their pickups that had all this extra space for workers, basically. It was almost like a worker's oh, yeah. truck. And I remember there was one scene, there was a glamour shot of it, and I was like, well, this seems weird, but whatever. And one of the characters, not the main ones, goes up to his truck, starts pulling out all this stuff from all his cubbies in the back, and you're like, oh, dear God. <laughs> but it wasn't like he had to, like, Oh, it's so spacious and roomy. Look how many tools I can start. There was no terrible lines, but it was 30-second commercial without making it look like commercial. But you just knew. Like, if you have an yeah. eye for it, you just know. Oh, yeah. We, um, back in 2015, I worked on the reboot of, of The X-Files, mm -hmm. where we're only going to do six episodes. And that was sponsored by Ford okay. uh, with the new Explorer. And I know there were a couple, like, I think there's... It didn't happen in every episode, but at least in at least three of them, there were different moments where Scully has to like interact with the Ford Explorer, and yeah. it's like clearly a product placement. Like at one point, she it's like this gratuitous shot of her like walking, you know, in a uh, in a car park, and you know she just has her bag, and she has to go and like swipe her leg under the bumper to let the you know the trunk lid go open. Yeah. This whole thing takes like thirty seconds, you know, but it was all part of the deal that Fox made with and, Ford to get it in there, and nothing feels natural about yeah, it no you, it just sticks out because most people just get into the car but when they start doing gadgets and you're just like oh my god yeah, you have like one of the most talented actresses you know in television history and you know even for her it was difficult to make it not look like this is a you know a commercial before and there's another scene where the uh david duchovny and um Gillian anderson are in in the, the explorer and they're showing off like the pedestrian warning mm -hmm. and she starts to go and like as they're, they're like staking out a place and then they're like hey we've got to go and and just as she steps on the gas like someone jumps out in front of the car like just yeah. a random passerby person <laughs> and then it's like the the warning signs go you know the warning uh, beeps go off and so we had to get like the real warning beeps from ford and <laughs> and all of that so yeah it's a big part of it and they, and they must make a ton of money yeah. i mean i've never heard a figure like oh that you know, like whatever the money that like um, we talked about Lost World, um, the Mercedes paid. I, I do remember that was kind of a big deal because it was bigger, a bigger amount than Ford paid right. to get their cars in Lost and World. And it's, you know, you're getting money into it and you're they're providing the cars, but you have to then give up some of your integrity a little <laughs> bit. Because uh, I did actually the show we worked on together briefly. We had a product placement that we had to do for a tr uh, car 
And yeah, that was the thing. I had to reach out to them to get the proper back out backup sounds because it backed up with a beep. Oh, right. And it had to be the precise beep. And and of course, I reached out to them and it took them forever. And it's like, well, if you want it to be accurate, you have to give it to me now. But the worst probably was I was doing a show. I think it was Samantha who was it Samantha? No, uh, Trophy Wife. Product placement Toyota. I don't remember the car or the brand, but they brought their own people out to light the scene. Mm. And I just remember the DP going, I guess I'll just stand over here. It was a two shot of them talking in the car and the car we were using was the product placement car. But they came out and they had their guys always wiping it down and making it look good. And they had their own lighting. And they told us the angles. It's like we had to see a front, a three quarter, interior. We had five things we couldn't cut from the show. So if the scene wasn't working or the dialogue, like we had to make sure we had so much in it. Wow. And it was the one shot that stood out because we could only color correct it so much. And then we had to send it for approval before we could even finish it. Mm. And I get it. They're putting up their money, but it's like, we know what we're doing. We're not just going to go, ah, this car sucks. Right. Give us our money, (laughs) you know. Maybe that's what changed is maybe product placement took away the idea of just a natural looking car. Right. Because you couldn't mod it in any way. I mean, it's not like the space movies where they just take a car and they just put gear on it or... um, it was like Mad Max. Oh, we just put, we took this really cool car and we put guns on it. Right. You know, that's something else. I mean, that's just more of a sci-fi fantasy or action movie where it's just ridiculous. Or maybe there is. I guess we need to talk to the youth, an influencer or something. But I just don't feel like the cars, not like cars ever had an important thing. They just were always so iconic in movies. Mm-hmm. It seemed like it, it. Maybe it was just because we didn't see a Porsche daily. Right. You know, especially now in L.A., I probably see 400 it's like, oh, oh yeah. there's another one. There's another one. So when you see one in the movie, you're like, oh, that one's nice. Saw one like that the other day. Yeah, and maybe that's, you know, maybe because of the, you know, commercialization and the, like, giant conglomerates owning all of these companies now. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that does take away, you know, like, for instance, Lamborghini is owned by Audi. Mm-hmm. And so they share a lot of the same platforms now, you know, on a standard, um, not just anything standard, but like an R8 and the Huracan, you know, they're basically, you know, cousins. Whereas before, when it was Lamborghini, you know, you had like, you know, 12 Italians in a shed, Mm -hmm. you know, banging these things out. Right. And now, you know, you've got robots and stuff, you know, putting them together. And I think that kind of takes away a little bit of the, you know, them being special. Right. Um, You know, it's funny. I was just thinking about uh, To Live and Die in L.A. Bud Smith, one of the editors that I used to work with, they were getting the cars for the chase in that movie. Mm -hmm. And he just happened to be driving by uh, the Ford dealer. Um, with William Friedkin, and they saw there was like a Mercury Marquis or something Mm -hmm. just parked out in front of the lot, and he was like, that's the car. And they pulled over, and he just bought it on the spot. Wow. And that car is in the movie. There's no product placement, none of that. They just had to be driving by, and... You know, that was it. Here's um, a P.O. And <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was a P.O. He probably just paid cash, you know, or back then maybe it was cocaine. You know, yeah. who knows? Here's a here's a brick and yeah. I'm taking that car. Yeah, I always thought that was an amusing, you know, amusing story. No, like, that's hilarious. You just drove around and found the right car. Yeah. And and maybe that's it. Maybe it's just the movies that use the cars that maybe feel a little more natural. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just sort of that they made a big deal like in, you know, Ferris Bueller. It was all about, you know, Cameron's dad's love of that car. Right. You know, so, but it never felt like they were, it was also a classic car, so you couldn't really promote it. It's like, hey, we're going to promote this car. Well, they can't buy this car. So now everything always seems to be a brand new car, unless the character needs to drive a beater. Right. You know. Right, or like James Bond, he's going to have, you know, he always has, like, the DB5 now, and they always have it in, you know, one or two scenes, you know, show up right. he's just driving it or whatever, but then, you know, they'll put him in, like, the latest and greatest Aston, because... You have to. You have to, and that's what... But I'm okay with that, because that seems like that's always been Bond. Right. Like, I feel like he's always going to... I mean, that's just... They're sort of just known for being the Bond car. So it doesn't feel... It still feels very product placement, because it's always some version you've never seen. Yeah, I guess, you know, when... uh, Was it... No, it was the Pierce Brosnan ones, where he went to BMW. Oh, right, right. they had in uh, GoldenEye... They made a big deal about uh, the then-new BMW Z3 which is like the little convertible one that kind of mm-hmm. looks like a Miata. And um, they made such a big deal about that being, because it was the first time you were going to see it and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. it literally is in like one shot. And he doesn't even drive it. Oh. You know, I don't think. Or if he does, it's very, very Is little. that the one he's driving on the ice? Or is that? No, no, that was an Aston. No, this was, um, this was like before that. Okay. And literally, I think it's the guy that plays Felix. Okay. At that time, he drives up in it. 
And I remember being so disappointed and was like, oh. You're not going to have that... Bond get behind the wheel? Yeah, I don't remember if he did or not. I, just I wonder that's if it's one they... of those things where, look, we'll let BMW do it, but we can't have James Bond in that car. Because remember, everyone lost their mind when James Bond drank a beer in, oh, really? uh, in the new one, in the... Um, what was the first one? Not Casino Royale. Was Casino Royale the first one with um, Daniel Craig? Yeah, that was Casino Royale. Okay. I remember everyone, internet, so idiots. Mm. Everyone lost their mind because he ordered a beer. Like, because he went up to the bar and instead of getting his, you know, shaken, not stirred, he ordered a beer. And people were like, this is an outrage. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, it's... <clears throat> the man just wants a beer. Yeah, maybe he just wants a beer. And then, then they sort of mythos on him actually drinking a martini, which it was kind of cool. But it's like, maybe it's like he can't be in another car because mm-hmm. fans will lose their mind if right. he gets in something else because apparently that's the only thing he can drive. But I, people getting mad about him drinking a beer was the funniest thing. Yeah, it's just, you know, I, mean, I don't know. People are just dumb. <laughs> well, and I get it too. It's a, it, You grow up with these films that you can always watch over and over again. Oh, yeah. You know, it's. I think it is a little different. Um, I mean, even if you go with Star Wars is... It, those didn't come to home video for the longest time, so the mythos of that. I mean, I had pirated copies of uh, all three, mm. and they look really good. But I don't, I don't remember how I got them. Wow. Uh, I'm not not like hiding how I got them. I just don't remember how I had them. <laughs> so now it's you can just sort of rewatch everything. So now like the Bond history is like you know what you want. So these movies just people just can watch them on repeat. So then all of a sudden it's like oh he's gonna drink a beer. What? I mean had. <laughs> no one been re-watching these over and over it's like oh he ordered a beer oh that's cool i mean even though he is known for the martini and everything i just don't maybe it's just the fact that you just uber fans now because you can just sort of consume over and over again you find your favorite movie it's like oh i'm gonna watch it a thousand times because i bought it digitally right or, and now you have a venue too to you know, just like we're doing now to you know express your thoughts to the world right and you know and people do it cool in jurassic world how they did show the original part of the island with the the ford explorer that was probably that movie was just really good because it just paid such good homage to jurassic park oh yeah and it was good on on top of that it was the idea that they finally opened the park which is all we wanted to see for the longest time but it wasn't like there was a fan outrage mercedes yeah no i mean they had it in, in lost world and um in fact, I think the very first tease we got for Jurassic World was the, the little, like, Velociraptor standing on top. It was like a storyboard oh, right. of the Explorer, you know, upside down. Right. And I, you know, was like, holy crap. That's, they're, they're doing it. <laughs> yeah, I still was hesitant. But, um, but yeah, after seeing, seeing that little storyboard, I was like, holy crap, that's, that's freaking awesome. And then that set the tone, really, for the yeah. rest of the picture. They did a good job on that one. Then the second one, not so much. But... You can only yeah, you can only catch lightning in a bottle so many times. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I I can't believe how much I love Jurassic World, and I mean, the second one, Fallen Kingdom, you know, is entertaining, <laughs> and it's definitely better than three, and it's definitely right. better than Lost World, but right. uh, yeah, they lost some of the magic, you know, a little bit on. That. I think that's the thing. You can only it's like, but if you're putting it to that bar, it's better than three. <laughs> I mean, that was the way, like. Like Revenge of the Sith, which is probably, in my opinion, just one of the better of the prequels. But it's like, well, it was better than The Phantom Menace. But look what we're comparing it to. Right. I mean, you're taking the worst of the franchise. Like, hey, here's Jurassic Park 3. But that one's better. Well, is that better? Does that make it better? Or is it just, you're just making, I don't know. It's such a weird, I get what you're saying, though. Jurassic World 2 is, yes, it's more entertaining than Jurassic Park 3. Yes. But I don't know if these bars are the bars we should be setting it to. <laughs> no, no. It's going to be like, Terminator Dark Fate. Huh, it was better than Terminator 3. Really? That's what we're going <laughs> to... Yeah, I guess, I don't know. I guess we're veering off topic a little bit. But the, uh, you know, you tend to do that, especially once you get into this, you know, once you get into a franchise that gets to, you know, four or five, you start mm-hmm. ranking them in your head. You right. You just can't help not, you know. Oh, no, no, no. Exactly. That's the thing. There's always going to be your favorite but you know, everyone's going to agree on certain ones and i mean yes it is universally known that Jurassic park 3 is not the favorite i'm sure there's someone out there that's going to love it like <laughs> that video i sent you of those two guys watching uh reacting to the terminator trailer one of the guys says he loved terminator 3 he literally said he's like oh man that was one of my favorite not i mean overall but he just said he goes i love terminator 3 wow. so i think there's a fan for oh, I'm everything sure it probably is you know you just get you know you get someone they say you're most like the years you are most influenced by things with outside sources, like between ages of 12 and 13, those, whatever it is that you absorb 
those years are what like stick with you forever. I've heard that. I don't know if it's true. I think it is because uh, I remember. Well, we'll get off <laughs> Star Wars in a second. I remember working on something and a kid loved a kid. This guy I worked with loved Phantom Menace, and I was like, "Oh, that's. I mean, you can." And then. I talked about when I saw it, then he goes, oh, yeah, my dad took me and my friend to see it. And I went, oh, shit, I'm old. And But, of course, this was ni- uh, when we talked about it, it was 2007 or 8. So it made t- – I mean, he, I think he was 12 mm-hmm. or something at the time, 12 or 13. So his dad took him to go see The Phantom Menace, and that's why he loves it so much. He loves – I think he even said he loved um, – you know, the originals, those are his favorite, but he goes, oh, I love Phantom Menace. My dad, I think it's because his dad took him and his friend to oh, go yeah. see it. And you're 12, that's going to be the, the amazing thing. I mean, I saw Aliens in the theater, a friend, me and my friend went in that so that I was 14. Wait, I'm trying to think, that was... Like 13 going on 14. 13 going on 14. Yeah. So I look at that movie so different than now, someone watching it now. So it... it I get it. That I think that is completely true. No matter male, female, or anything, is twelve to thirteen is such a an important time, and you see certain things. That's how you end up with your favorite band. Yeah. You know, for the most part. Yeah. No, that's I think that's that's totally true. Yeah. For me, I mean, both yeah, License to Ill, right, and Aliens were both nineteen eighty six. Yeah. And I still either watch or listen to both those you know both those things um, to this day. And there's those core movies. If you look up uh, release, you look up 84 to 87 were the key movies that came out, like Karate Kid, Goonies, uh, Ghostbusters. Like Top all, Gun, yeah. Top Gun. All these movies came out. That's why I think they, they resonate with so many of the people that are working in Hollywood now because they're all at that age. And these are the movies. That's probably why they reboot every fucking movie. That's why we're getting Top Gun too. <laughs> but maybe that's it. Maybe that's how I view the fact that cars seemed so important then as opposed to now like when i go to a movie other than fast and the furious it's cool to see what they're doing but you know 90 percent of that is just cg so it's like i don't even know how much of that is a real car other than them driving up then the rest of that i have no idea like how much of that's even part of the action but i don't know if i've seen anything where it's like the car seemed memorable and not that it has to there's no reason it has to be at all but i don't feel like even with tv like even what we're binging now like we binge so much stuff there isn't anything that has stuck out yeah no that's a good that's a good question that, that probably is you know for me and we you know we talked about it, i think last time a bit about you know cg you know you look i still think the most iconic and the best car chase of all time is still in bullet mm-hmm. in 1968 and you've got the mustang and the charger and um you know all of that was real it was on the streets of san francisco there's no cg there's no effects right steve mcqueen's driving you know it, it's still incredible um, the sound is amazing. It won for um, the Oscar that year. There's a big difference between that and, you know, Nick Cage in Gone 60 Seconds and him jumping over, you know, in this terrible CG shot. Yeah. You know, I can't remember what he was jumping over, but it was something. Yeah. And it just looks terrible. And it just completely takes you out of, you know, out of the movie. Then you should watch Drive Angry. Do you see Drive Angry with Nick Cage? Yes. Yeah, I, I saw, like, the first, like, reel of that movie. And, uh, yeah, it actually, you know. He drove very angry. Yes. I want to say he was from hell. I don't know. There was the plot on that movie was crazy, but there was a lot of good driving. I put in quotes, but right. yeah, too. Now we'll we'll set up, we'll knock out a street, and not that shooting practical always makes it like they built for was it Matrix Two? Yep. They built a highway. Yeah, they did. Yeah. You know that made. I mean, and then so everything looks really good, even though there are still some CG parts. I mean, there's always that argument. There's always something better about practical than you know full cg and yeah that movie just seemed gritty too it seemed real right a uh, bullet uh, that is oh bullet yeah yeah yeah. you have to say like of matrix 2 like that's the only thing i remember that movie is the car chase yeah. and uh him having to fight like 200 mr smiths or whatever and, right and then him jumping off but yeah um going back to a little bit like you know watching bullet and now having like being access to um access to blu-ray and stuff i remember um came out a few years ago because they've done the transfer this really great transfer on bullet they could tell now that like one of the charters was actually yellow and was believed to be like a different color oh um so that was like a whole thing that like you know the internet blew up on because you could just you could now you know take a frame of that and blow it way up in a way that you couldn't before and when right. they, the cars got damaged they just you know resprayed them black um it was something to that effect but without it being on blu-ray and opening it up to the masses right people didn't never knew well and that's the thing too it's a 
like with Blu-ray, all of a sudden you'll see something going, that's not him driving. Like you, you'll oh, see, yeah. that's always the funniest. You just see um, a shot and you're like, it, there's actually one shot in um, Terminator, which I rewatched where Kyle's driving through the street and there's just one where there's a head on shot. And it's like, hey, look at that guy in a wig. <laughs> and it's like, I get it. There's only at the time too, when you project it on the theater, you're not going to notice it. Right. But I'm even just streaming HD. It was like, Hey, that's not him. <laughs> <laughs> God. Um, which now you can easily fix. Like, if you know that's what you're going to do. Like, in Bullet, they probably, if that was sh- going to be released now, they would have gone through, oh, hey, because they would be in a bay in color. Because at, at that time, they're on real real film. Right. Oh, it's a little, like, maybe even if they could see it, it's like, that's ah, too quick. Who cares? Now you would go in and digitally fix that. Oh, yeah. I mean, Which, that's the thing, too. It makes, you know, I don't know. It's just all part of the being organic and yeah. and real and, and gritty. And, and now, you know, we just try to clean... Yeah, we clean all which that i wouldn't mind I, that that stuff i don't mind where if you're doing a car chase and you happen to see an angle of someone and it's the stunt driver yeah map his face you right. know i don't mind if it's just really quick but it does that always still cracks me up that that still happens now mm-hmm. you're like that's clearly the stunt double oh yeah you know it's like that's not even the same build the same wig the same what is happening <laughs> like you paid wait this is a hundred million dollar movie or 150 million dollar movie i shouldn't see that i don't know why not that it matters yeah no i mean today's it's a whole different thing i know you know um two probably the biggest sort of like continuity errors dealing with cars is the one is in thunderball where the um bond is driving the mustang mach one and he goes and he gets it up on like they do stunt work gets up like on two wheels Mm -hmm. and because he has to go like in between a building and so when it goes in it's on like the driver's side and it's on two wheels but then when they cut to the other side of the building and mm-hmm. it comes out, it's on like the passenger side because like two different people did the stunts on like, oh. two different days and nobody right. thought to say, hey, this is how we did it. And so, you know, that was like a big one. And then I remember two, uh, this goes way back into uh, Cannibal Run 2. Okay. Which I remember seeing in the theater and even as a kid, not, you know, I wasn't film savvy or anything, <clears throat> but they have this silly scene where... Um, it's Dean Martin and um, Sammy Davis Jr. and they're driving in the Corvette. And Frank Sinatra, he's supposed to be in a Ferrari or another Corvette or something. And and he passes him. And for some reason, it cuts to this random shot of Daytona Z going by. Uh-huh. And it's like, well, what the hell? They didn't have the same car. It wasn't even the same car. And it was like the shots were continuous. And it was like, how? It was probably like day of. I understand they... it's, you know. I mean, it's kind of a guilty pleasure movie and that kind of thing, but it's like, really, you couldn't? Yeah, it, you know, that's definitely all the all the wides were second unit. Yeah, you shot know, so like they shot all the stuff later. with the actor, and then it's like, all right, now let's go get the wides. All right, we need this car, this car, and this car, and then probably, oh, we need this one. Yeah, it's booked, you know, because you're, right. you're renting the cars and like, ah, get something close. <laughs> yeah, just get something as well as red, you know, in a two door red car. But I always thought that was like crazy. It was like. This is terrible. You can't even... Talk about a movie that was all about the cars. Cannonball. Oh, yeah. Uh, that and Burt Reynolds. But, yes. And even you saying that blows my mind that it's like, we had Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., uh, Burt Reynolds, Dom DeLuise, Frank said, what movie are we watching? You oh, know, yeah. Farrah Like, it is the most insane cast of a movie. You would never do that now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, we, could, we could do a whole, a whole hour just on Cannonball <laughs> Run. <clears throat> I remember as a kid, they had the VHS and you, know, you could you know, rent it. And I remember renting both cannonball run and cannonball run Two, like probably a hundred times, like no joke at the same thing. And, and just, then they hit HBO and they were on just, Oh yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people don't realize that, um, that movie came out in 81, uh, the original cannonball and it was directed by Hal Needham and yeah, all-star cast. I mean, everybody's in that movie. And I believe up until Aliens, it was like the highest grossing R-rated film. Probably. Definitely for the year. Right. Definitely for that year. Because they're just coming out, you know, hot off of, you know, Smoking the Bandit. Yeah. And Car uh, movies, I think it was just because they were not guilty pleasures. I think that's the wrong word. Car movies were so impressive because I think you were just putting this fantasy of cars out there because cars kept getting better. I mean, obviously oh, yeah. you, had, you had cars in the 60s, but like. The late 70s, early 80s was just all about cars. Like, it makes it seem like you look at it now going, was the car just invented? The fact that how many car movies they made <laughs> made it seem like. Oh, yeah. Well, when I say guilty pleasure, I mean, just referring back to it, you know. No, no, no. There's nothing now. wrong. I think anything you like. It was that, a mainstream movie back then. Right. You know? Anything you like 
at a kid or even now, there's nothing nothing guilty. I I, I like that term, but I also ha- have issues with the term because mm-hmm. if you like it, nothing wrong with it. I mean, yep. watch it as much as you want. If someone does, no. I, look, someone's going to watch Phantom Menace every day because that was a the movie they grew up with. <laughs> Good for you. I'm right. not going to do that. But yeah, it just, I think maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was just that we grew up in a time where car movies were the thing. I mean, that was it. I mean, you had yeah. stories, but it wasn't always about the car. Like, obviously, Smoking the Bandit was about the Firebird, but there was the main story. It was never, it was just the car he drove. Right. But the story itself was really good. And Cannonball was, I probably watched it because of Burt Reynolds, because mm-hmm. Burt Reynolds. And then everyone else, I didn't know, I probably knew who half those people were until I started rewatching it a dozen times in the late 80s. Oh, I know who you are now. Because oh, yeah. I'm not sure I knew who exactly Dean Martin was at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I probably knew the name, but it wasn't like, for me, it would have been like, if your dad took you to that movie, your dad's like, this is amazing. Right. And you're sitting there going, Burt Reynolds. Right. Yeah, Jimmy the Greek. <laughs> yeah. But think about it now. So you're, you're doing Cannonball now in the theory of how they did it. It would almost be like having, who would be like big, like, all right, we got Limp Biscuit in the movie because you're thinking from when they made that, Dean Martin, all those people were like 60s. So you right. take maybe 15, 16 years ago who the stars were. It's like, all right, we got Evanescence, Limp Biscuit's <laughs> going to be in this movie. It's like, wait, what? Right. I mean, because they're such, I mean, they're all awesome. true. What? Limp, in, the, in this one they're trying to remake? No, no, I'm just saying oh. if they were to remake it now oh. with that idea of like, who was big? Who were the big stars then? And and I know Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin were doing movies, so yeah, they were like Adam of, Sandler. Or yeah, something. so it's like you would be taking all these people now. It'd be like, oh, this is embarrassing. Mm-hmm. But you were taking these people that still were doing Vegas res- residencies. I mean, granted, they were older, right? You were just hodgepodging this cast together of, but not everyone was that young. It's not like it was a youth-driven movie. Oh no, no, no! I mean, everyone's probably. I mean, earliest in their like mid thirties, probably. Yeah, there's that. probably one person in there that's. 28 and that's probably it yeah i'm sure like i'm not saying like one of the main people like even if it's um, maybe farrah fawcett or something maybe farrah fawcett is like oh yeah that'd probably be it farrah fawcett was probably the youngest person Mm -hmm. at the time which i mean too like that's another thing too it's like every movie we grew up with is you know the high school kids were you know 30 right yeah cannonball run like the youngest person's probably 28 i probably didn't think about it at the time you know it's oh she seems young and he's like, yeah, no, we're all 30. Oh, yeah. No, at least, well, I mean, it took you know, it took time for all those guys. And, I mean, really, Farrah Fawcett's really the only woman in that movie, right? Except for when Roger Moore has a different, you know, he's got, like, a different hot model. And, yeah. you know, every time you see him. A funny side story about the Cannibal Run. A uh, mutual friend that we have worked with some people uh, in the camera department who worked on the original Cannibal Run. Mm-hmm. And they affectionately called the movie The Blizzard. Because there was so much cocaine on the oh. set that, you know, it was just part of the time, 1980, you know, 80, 81. And now that that was probably like those times where, yeah, we got insurance on all the actors. You know, that was just like, who's all in it? Great. You guys all need insurance? Okay. Oh, yeah. Here you go. Now it's like you have to go for the physical. You have to, you actually <laughs> have to do everything. I'm sure back then it was just sort of, okay, you're good. We oh. found an insurance company. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good question. I, you know, who... Who knows uh, what they would have done back then? I mean, as it is, it's like Edward Furlong is a liability. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's serious. He's like a liability, and it's harder. Like, you almost can't cast him at the time. You couldn't really cast him because it was just, like, he's too much of a liability. Oh, like, yeah. And the insurance is too much. Even though, like, you get that money back, it's like you still had to take, like, a $1 to $2 million insurance policy on your $8 million movie just to have the kid from Terminator in it. Oh, yeah. But then it's like, wait a minute, we have Dean Martin, who's probably drunk the whole time. Yet all these people that were actually abusing at the time, because later on, they're like, oh, man, I was drunk and high the whole time. Oh, yeah. Everyone just knew. Now it's like, oh, yeah, that person had one incident. Yeah, $10 million to insure. What? Right. Yeah. No. Look, everyone was doing it. And it was just part of the culture. You know, and they thought, you know, I think there were like articles that came out and like the Village Voice and stuff saying, you know, how there's no bad side effects of cocaine for you, you know, and because uh, nobody knew, you right. know, nobody had any idea what, you know, what the stuff was. They just knew that it didn't feel real good. And I'm no expert on it, yeah. so I, I can't really talk about it, but I can only imagine, though, how, you know, how crazy that was back you Someone know, back just then. knocks on their trailer at 5 a.m. They just getting up. It's like, hold on, let me do a line. All right. 
Let's shoot this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess whatever it takes to, you know, to get you out of bed. You know, it was just funny to think you're talking about Edward Furlong and, you know, we would have laughed 10, 15, 15 years ago about yeah. Robert Downey Jr. would have said the same thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't until, you know, Disney ponied up uh, the money and insurance to get him to do, to play the villain in The yeah. Shaggy Dog. And now yeah. pretty much the biggest star there is. So yeah, he's making, I think he's making a close to 90 or 100 million off of just, I think he did. 100 million off of Infinity War, and I think he's making close to that off of Endgame. So he's okay. But it is weird to think, yeah, like you said, he had this great career, then was waking up in strangers' beds, couldn't get a job, and then just people, because he cleaned up, people just took chances because he was always a good actor. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, not to compare... Edward Furlong with Robert Downey Jr. But but Eddie, if you're out there, you still have a shot. Yeah, you, you can still do it. <laughs> and that's sad. I mean, that's probably I, I didn't dive too into it because you know Terminator Three is my Phantom Menace. Um, <laughs> is I think Terminator Three would have probably been a better film had Edward Furlong been in it. Like it would have been more cohesive. It would have been a cohesive story, and it would have been a better connective tissue other than just Arnold. Right. Like if Terminator Three was happening. It's like Edward Furlong's a little older, or not by much, but a little older. Arnold's in it again. It's like, oh, this feels connected. Right. Now here's the new person, Claire Danes or or something. But I think that was it. It was sort of felt like a weird reboot with characters you already knew. Like here's another one. It's one thing when it's like, obviously there was different actors for John Connor and the flashbacks, but no one, that doesn't really matter. That doesn't need to be cohesive because we're never going to go to that war. Right. You know, if I think, honestly, I think if Edward Furlong, maybe Terminator 3 would have been a better film. I mean, it's still, even if you take what it is now and you just slap him in there as opposed to right nick stall nick stall my buddy nick stall your buddy nick stall i think maybe it could have been a better film i I don't know if it would have been better it would have just felt cohesive it would have felt natural to the Mm storyline you know to sat there and went okay it's not great but and uh actually we did watch uh we watched uh, an edward furlong movie in the um in the office this year oh it was it was fantastic it was him and um uh cory feldman oh (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, both both actors were de force they were both it was funny i don't know if there was a scene where they were together but there was a scene of them together mm. it was funny they're, they're fighting each other i don't know some sort of vampire thing i don't remember the zombie king zombie i'll remember it later but they have a scene together but there's never a two shot of them it's always over the shoulders and you can kind of tell that's not them and their eye lines don't match up that's awesome it was fantastic because at first they came in. I was like, well, this is going to be interesting. Everyone look up. Mm. So we start watching it going, I don't think they're in the, the same room because I think one was always looking up and the other one was looking way too down. I was like, I don't. Where is he in this room? Because you'd cut back going, that's not where he's looking. That's awesome. And Edward Furlong was phoning it in. Corey Feldman was it was pretending like he was in the heyday he was chewing scenery with his acting oh man edward furlong's when's the check wait are we are we filming <laughs> god the only thing would be better is if they had a moment in that whatever that movie is it'd be like in the last jedi where the two were like having visions of each other so it's Corey feldman having a vision of edward furlong and vice versa it that's almost how it was shot because it's, it didn't matter if the eyelines didn't match up because we were seeing each other in a different force talk or something mm. but that was a um it was sad because not. I think what it is is we never knew if Edward Furlong was a good actor. He's okay in Terminator 2. Like, he does the job in Terminator 2. Right. And that, I think, comes down to being young. You have Jim Cameron. You have a lot going for what that movie is. Right. What well, was also his first, you know, his first role, right? Because he pulled him out of, Jim Cameron pulled him out of a boys club. Or something. Yeah. And yeah. then he did brain scan which i think we saw at the dollar theater mm. and i remember liking that right and that was pr- i still think about that movie more than i probably should mm. it's just a well done movie and he was pretty good in it and then after that it was just sort of he just sort of not disappeared he kept working but we weren't watching any of the stuff he was in oh he did pet cemetery 2 and that was just a bad movie that had nothing to do with him right that was just little gonna... buddha right was that little... him was he in that one which one's that isn't that the, the counter reeves movie is he in that all right Hold on, we're going to the internet, people, because we need to know about <laughs> Edward Furlong. I wish they dust him off for the new Terminator. Like, got him, like, a handler. Oh, yeah. And just like, all right, we're going to get you a Marvel body. That would have been amazing. He just comes <laughs> out just uh, ripped in the new one. I'm back! Gosh. I'm John Connor. It's like, holy shit. Uh, Edward Furlong. The top question is, is Edward Furlong still acting? <laughs> is he alive? Oh, he had a little run on um, NCIS New York. 
We're so far off topic right now. I know. That's... We'll get we'll get back to it. We'll we'll close out with we'll close out strong, everyone. <laughs> Little Odessa, he was in. Oh, maybe that's what that's probably what I think of. Who's in that one besides Edward Furlong? Yeah. So after that, then he did Pecker, which I barely remember. It was indie. He was okay. American History X. He was good in that. Detroit Rock City was okay. Once again, he was fine in that. And then it just sort of changed at that point. Little Odessa, Tim Roth, Edward Furlong. Oh, that's what it is. Forgive me. That was a long time ago. And then it just sort of, then he wanders into movies we've never heard of. Right. And that's probably when things started going bad. And then... um, Yeah, looking at this, that's actually probably the last Edward Furlong movie. I don't know, I guess American History X, but that was years later. It was, yeah, it was Little Odessa. He doesn't stop working, so someone's paying for his insurance. Yeah, he does like one or two things a year, it looks like. Uh, and it was the, uh, I was, uh, correct, it was the Zombie King. Oh, good. So anyone who wants to see the Zombie King, don't. So there you go. <laughs> There's your Edward Furlong update for 2019. Uh, we'll keep you updated on Edward Furlong each week <laughs> as he uh, as the status of Edward Furlong. So that being said, with Edward Furlong, would have maybe made uh, Terminator 3 better. But And they did try to make the Cannonball Run movies again. With cars, they did Cannibal One and Two. What was that? There was that <clears throat> speed. Terrible was Speed Zone. Speed Zone. That was the mid to late eighties. Yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, Dom DeLuise and Burt Reynolds decided they didn't want to do a third one. Right. And since I guess they, uh, Burt Reynolds, at the very least, had uh, some part of the rights to oh. Cannonball. Maybe Dom had a point or something as well. Um, you know, they decided not to do it, and so that's why they had to change the title of it. I remember seeing um, it, not hating it, but it was—it just felt like a cannonball ripoff because that's exactly what it was. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I remember seeing it in the theater and thinking mostly how terrible it was. <laughs> <laughs> and I was a huge fan of those, you know, the first movie especially. The second movie is, is not so great. The opening's pretty good. Yeah, that was rough. And I mean, they're trying to reboot that movie now. They keep trying. I just don't know. I think what it is, it's unless you're going to be jumping car building to building like Fast and the Furious, who wants to see Cannonball movie now? Other than, like, I guess us? Yeah, like, driving movies typically do not do well at the box office, whether yeah. it's driven or drives a different example. Yeah. But um, what was that? Was the was that the, the Sloan one was driven? Yes. And then we just had the one with uh, Ron Howard a few years ago. Um, oh, the, the about the race movie with uh, Hemsworth, and it was a, the true story of the race movie. Rush? Yes, with Rush. Yeah. Was, uh, it was James Hunt and Nikki Lauda was who they were uh, portraying in that. Actually, Nikki Lauda just died uh, a few weeks ago. Oh. Yeah, typically, they, you know, it's kind of a hard sell, yeah. except for Fast and Furious. And we think somehow that they could capitalize on that and, you know, and make, make the Cannibal Run, you know, movies happen. But I think now, like, because uh, we uh, we talked about that trailer, that Ford versus Ferrari. Oh, I think, yeah, that looks so good. <laughs> I think the only thing is, it's like, I think that's the only thing we're going to get. It's going to have to be, like, biopics. Right. You know, it's like, here's an, about an event about these cars. But once again, it's like, we're still going to be fetishizing older cars. Yes, you know? no, that's it, true. You know, no one's doing a movie about, you know, ooh, the two, 2007 Prius. <laughs> that was a tight car in that movie. You know, I... I can go on Instagram now and I'll see a thousand high-end cars, you know. And and living in LA is still different, I think, from anywhere else. It's like I'm going to see whatever these cars are. I'm going to see random souped-up Bentleys. I'm going to see um, even where my wife is currently now. I drive down the street and they have there's four Porsches and two Ferraris. But it's like I drive by, I'm going, cool. Like it doesn't – and if I see them in the movie, if it's done, well, it's still nice. But it's not – I, I, there doesn't doesn't hold a, anything to me anymore. Even Drive was really well done, mm-hmm. but I honestly don't remember the cars in Drive. You know, I think because he kept switching cars because that was part of the premise. But I don't remember an iconic car other than the movie was about driving. Right. Yeah, it was like the GM. I can't remember the name of that thing. It was like a you know one or two year only thing. I was going to say the, it was the first world problems when you're like, oh, I'm so tired of looking at all these Mercedes. Um, but no, I mean it's true. Like when you see a modern you know, high-end car, sports car, whatever. I definitely don't have the same reaction as if, like, you know, you, know, you see, like, a Lamborghini Espada or a Urocco or something from the 70s. You're like, oh, my God, that's, you know, yeah. so rare. And to see it, like, out on the road, you know. Um, I saw, uh, I got a, caught a glimpse, and I'm pretty sure it was Jay Leno because it was down Hollywood Way. Oh, of course. Um, and I just heard it coming, and I just caught the tail of it. Um, I think he was driving his Countach. He's mm-hmm. got a red one, and that's a car like you've never because they're like you know half a million dollars or more right. now. You just don't 
you know you don't see them ever you know, yeah and that anymore. always seemed that always seemed really cool uh, oh yeah a Countach or even like it was what was it the Ferrari Tessar uh, yeah the Testarossa Testarossa that was seemed to be the car in the 80s yeah that's where you had you know you had the poster on your wall you know hell I had two or three of them yeah. you know of the Countach and um you know it was it was just so easy back then because it was only like two <laughs> do you think do you think it's, it had something to do with like that was like an aspirational thing like not that I ever thought I wanted a Ferrari because I probably had I think, I, oddly enough, I had a DeLorean poster. I want to say I had a Ferrari poster and maybe a Countach poster. At one point in different phases, not like one wall full right. of it. But it just seemed like that was like maybe some sort of goal. Like, I don't know if that was my aspiration to own one. But now it's like cars are such in a, such a different place than they were. And once again, we're always talking about the 80s. It's just that seemed so high-end and so like, oh, that's, that's the ultimate goal. If I no, can I get think, a Countach. Yeah, I think that's actually... I would argue that's probably part of it. I mean, they had those posters, which you'd never have today. I can't but imagine it said, some no kid. reason to say justification for higher education. And it had mm-hmm. like the big house, like on a hill. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it had like the six car garage with the yeah. different, you know, all the different sports cars in there. And like, you would never have a poster like that today. And that was just mm-hmm. a time it was born of the eighties. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like Michelle Pfeiffer says in Scarface, you know, it's a, nothing exceeds like excess. And that, that sums up the eighties more than anything. And yeah, I think, I think it was part of it. That was like a, you know, that was a thing that you wasn't like trying to achieve world peace right. or hunger or anything. No, I want to get, the, I want this car. And that's. Yeah. Cause it, even now, like if you watch a, a movie, say there's like a teen in it or something and they go in the room, they're not putting up a car poster. And if they do, I know that, that the no, they're, set they're, designer, they're... the 40 year old set designer is like, I always wanted a Countach yes. and put the poster up. It, it's like, you obviously are going to do band posters. You're going to want something like that, but you rarely see. Yeah, like, or something woke or whatever. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. I think maybe it's just that it was like this unattainable dream that was something to shoot for. Most, I mean, with Uber and Lyft, kids don't care about cars anymore. And I don't think it's a matter about caring because it's not like that's not reflective. There's still cool cars and movies. Even to see a Ferrari seemed so exciting. Oh, yeah. No, I can remember every time that I've ever seen a Countach yeah. over the course of my life vividly because <laughs> it happened so rare, you know, seeing it out in the wild, you know. Right. Um, you know, now, I don't know, I probably saw an Aventador last week, but I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, our first world problems. I think I saw one. Yeah, or sorry, two. everybody. <laughs> Whatever. I, I, yeah, I think maybe that's, maybe that's why it definitely seems that, um, cars that aren't, don't seem iconic anymore because they all just seem attainable. Like, I mean, whatever you're watching now, if you're watching, um, uh, like Jessica Jones or, I think I just saw an ad for it. Is the only reason I can think about it. But if you're watching NCI CSI, you're watching comedies. Don't really matter anymore. I mean, like a Goldberg's or something. But that's going to be set in the '80s. Right. Anything now? It's not like there's a car that you remember. And of course, like they redid Magnum. Of course, they gave him a Ferrari. But that's only because it's a callback. Right. You know. So it's not even there's you know like a Hawaii Five O. You don't sit there. Ooh, that car. Because if they have that car, it's probably because it's a reference to the original Hawaii Five O. You know, I don't remember where the other one, like, Lost. I mean, they're these big, even Mad Men, but that's a retro show. So it's like you don't yeah, sit yeah, there the thinking Cadillac, yeah. that. But even then, you're just probably looking at Mad Men going, oh, cool, old Cadillac. But right, I don't associate it with the show. Right, no. I mean, if, if you went up to 10 people out on the street, you're like, what kind of car did Don Draper drive? Probably one, maybe with Lucky, you know, would you, you know, would know what it was. Yeah. You know, whereas if you said, oh, what did, you know, Marty McFly drive in Back of the Future, yeah. probably nine out of the ten. And they're, and they're going to remember, know. they'll remember the DeLorean because everyone's going to remember the name. But it's like, oh, and then I always wanted that, you know, the black pickup. Even if they don't remember the model, they're going to remember the black pickup, mm-hmm. you know, or even like the Dukes. Oh, that orange car. You know, like, right. <laughs> even if you don't remember the exact brand, you're going to remember that, you know, you're not going to sit there as like, I'm just trying to think of like. What did Seinfeld drive? I know it's a bad example. It's like, I have no idea. Saab 900. Oh. In the show? Yeah. Oh, I don't even remember that. That's yeah. so funny. He sure did. Oh, is that the one because he got it back from the valet? Um, no, it featured, you know, quite a, you know, a number of times. You know, I know, like, uh, was a Kramer had to, like, he borrowed it once, and then he went to go get a pizza, and he put the pizza in the, you know, he wanted to keep it warm on the drive home, so he put it in the engine compartment, and the pizza melted all over, and... Um, he took it to his mechanic. It was like Gunther, I think was the character's probably. name. Probably. I, I forget the actor. Uh, I want to say it's the guy who plays Putty, but I'm probably, probably remembering it. And so, yeah, the guy, the mechanic gets mad at, you know, at uh, at Seinfeld. He won't, like, give him the car back or something, it's, you know. And that was probably his choice because uh, Seinfeld's such a huge car guy. 
Oh, yeah. So he was by, I want this car. Give it to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he could, especially back then, he could, you know, get whatever he wanted. But yeah, so it is, and it too, if you look up um, iconic cars, which I sort of did briefly, it seemed like they went from, other than Bullet, it was like 75 to about 93. And then there was no other ones. It's like, here's that, uh, like, it was like 100 top iconic cars. And of course, they put like the Batmobile, uh, both uh, Tim Burton and then um, 66 Batman. Right. But like those, it's like, well, those are just sort of modded cars, which count, but those seemed cool because there was like, oh, that's the Batmobile. But yeah, most. Yeah, all that George Barris stuff is definitely of its time. Right. So know. there was all these cars, but it wasn't like, I think the newest one that made the list was the Batman Tumblr from The Dark Knight. And it's oh, like. Yeah. All right, I see that. But, that, I mean, you had to go. There was nothing else. It wasn't like, oh, this car from this. this Because um, I was hoping to find, like, oh, maybe that's why I'm just older and I didn't rec- recognize it from these movies. There was a couple, like you said, from Fast and the Furious, which count. But there wasn't really anything that wasn't car-based movie. Right. You know, it wasn't just, like, a regular movie that had a really cool car in it. Yeah, that's it's kind of silly, too, because there's, there's stuff you could do that could be, you know. I mean, like, Fast and Furious has made all the, um, you know, the GTR is really popular and... It seems like you could do something really cool with a new GTR. Why Nissan hasn't done a, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess they did sort of in was it they had one like in District Nine where they, you know, made it look like kind of a um, like a road warrior kind of thing. But aside from that, yeah, no, that's actually that's a really good point. It does I, kind of fall off right after Jurassic Park. And I think it's just maybe it's not even like so much highlighting the car, but it was like part of the character. They were adding one more element to even the character. It's almost like what does he drive? It doesn't matter. You know, it's it's almost like whatever we can get. Show me some cars. Okay, that blue one's cool. Yeah, I suppose that is probably the definition of what makes an iconic movie car is, as opposed to just a prop, right? Yeah. Is it has to become, it's it's a character in the movie, mm-hmm. right? It becomes a character. I mean, not literally like Bumblebee. Right. Though that's an example too, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, if you think, if you associate with like the lead, like the DeLorean Back to the Future, if you, you know, put the DeLorean on the same level as, you know, uh, Michael J. Fox, that car is iconic. Right. right that's part of it. Otherwise, it's just a prop. For the most part, you're not featuring the car. But I, I remember that. It's also, I think, because like we said, we were 12. You remember the the, the, the pickup, the black pickup, because it seems so iconic. Oh, I he, still want that to this day. <laughs> he didn't even drive it until the third one. Because he didn't drive it in the first one. He sees it in the first one. Yeah, I guess. It's, yeah, that's So true. it's not until the third one when they get in and they're going to do the race and they don't do it. And then, you know, then they see the train come in and doc goes oh your future is unwritten so as an iconic car that you don't even see driven until the third movie in 89 yeah for one scene is it in the second one don't they do the race in the second one or no no it's the third one it's the third one gosh you gotta wait all that time yeah so they see it and then yeah then they just disappear until the end of uh, the third one when he actually drives it yeah that car was that truck i should say was so cool um yeah to the to this day i'd love to have it and I think maybe it's just pickup. one of those things that people felt this character needs to drive this car. Even if it's not an iconic car, it just sort of fits the character. Right. Where now they just ah, throw him in whatever. I guess that's what he would drive because ultimately it doesn't really matter. And when it comes down to it, it doesn't really matter what the character drives because I just want to see the story. Right. But it's just funny that there isn't anything really that current that I feel like I associate that character with driving. Even if I don't remember the car that well, it's like, Oh, yeah, he did that really dope yellow car, even yeah. though it's on a color. I mean, I guess when they rebooted Gone 60 Seconds, um, and Nick Cage is, is, is um, you know, going after Eleanor, which is the 67 Shelby yeah. Mustang, um, and that was a huge deal for all, you know, all throughout the, two, you know, 2000s. Right. I mean, that's, I guess that's probably the last one that I can think of off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate part is that movie's not very good. <laughs> no, it is not. I mean, there's like little bits and pieces in that movie that are okay, but... Generally, it's pretty terrible. I mean, the chase at the end is pretty good, but it's yeah. definitely not as good as the H.B. Heilicky one from 74. <laughs> you know, and that chase goes on for 30 minutes or something. Right. You know, I think that that's probably what keeps that movie from being iconic is that it's mostly a terrible movie. Other than the story of him wanting that car, it was just about how are they going to steal the car. It was more of the caper. Yeah. You know, how are we going to get this one? You know? Yeah, not even done that well really i mean like you distract him that way we'll set up a distraction over here then we'll get the car but so it wasn't really it was mostly just the caper it was mm-hmm. the build-up of how you're going to take each car right and then then once they finally get eleanor it's about then that quick chase right you know of him you know having to steal all these cars to save his brother yes <laughs> which is always some sort of it's weird i saw the movie once and i remember like the terrible plot yeah i mean um 
and it's essentially you know it's the plot of the original but there's no they're just doing the heist like there's no deal with the brother or anything in the original one it's just stealing it's right. just stealing the cars um just make me think of um do you remember the movie the rookie with uh charlie sheen yeah, yeah, and yeah. clint eastwood yeah, yeah. that's actually a, that's a pretty cool movie that you could read re you know reboot mm-hmm. um you know have lots of great action sequences in it we, we saw that together yeah yeah and then we saw the other movie that actually had a good car bit in it too the chase with charlie sheen oh yeah that's right i forget who's the girl in that uh christy swanson was christy swanson yeah, yeah. but once again i kind of remember the cars because they were in i believe they were in a bmw it was hers yes the red. series red bmw they're driving that the police are coming and then red hot chili peppers in their like <laughs> Uh, jacked up uh, truck yes. try to knock them off the road but that was a probably that was a really good car but once again both these movies are mid 90s so we're going once again to right the mid 90s so there isn't anything where i remember it's like you know oh my god that car in avatar was amazing <laughs> yeah well neither neither of those movies the rookie or the chase i mean they're not iconic movies they're just movies that existed you know? right exactly this is something you went to you know went to go see that had a moment um but i kind of remember the car stuff in it though Right. Well, it was like in Basic Instinct, too, right? I mean, she drove a Lotus. That was a big deal. Yeah. Then having to go back to the 90s. And then I think even in Pretty Woman, didn't he have a Lotus, too? Yeah, yeah, he drove a Lotus in that one, too. It was all about that car for some reason. That was a hype car. Whoever was uh, behind Lotus was, like, getting it in movies. Yeah, that was always my, my favorite Bond car, getting back to Bond, um, was the Lotus in The Spy Who Loved Me. That was just so cool. And, yeah. Um, and seeing that, you know, uh, when Q, like, pulls it up off that little barge at the beginning, you're like, holy shit, because nothing else looked like that, yeah. you know, back then. And, um, you know, to this day, that's, you know, that's my personal favorite Bond movie, but, I mean, yeah. Skyfall's better. I mean, there's a ton of other ones, but... You saw that at the right time, so it's going to be yeah. the one you favorite, but it, it's your favorite for that reason. It's not that it's a better movie. Yeah, no, and it's, you know, and it's that movie's actually really... It's a, it's the best Roger Moore film, that much I can say. <laughs> Um, it's really well done. Not View to a Kill? <laughs> no, not View to a Kill or Moonraker. Moonraker's the worst one. But if you watch, you know, it's funny, that movie came out the same summer as um, both uh, Star Wars and Close Encounters. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. I, I don't place the Bonds anywhere because I think I ended up obviously watching them all, most of, well, most of them up until the mid-80s on video. Mm-hmm. And then I started seeing all the, the, the ones in the 80s. But, like, I have no placement in time on any of those movies of, like, when they were released. Mm-hmm. I've seen them all. But right. I don't know when each one, so that's actually really interesting. It's weird to think like the visual effects in that Bond probably don't even hold up to how amazing Star Wars was, and they had a franchise. Yeah, I mean that one. Uh, that one does. Uh, Spy Who Loved Me does a lot of practical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean the car was an actual submarine, and yeah. you know it had a diver in it and the whole thing. It's only when it comes down to like that rear projection stuff that is always pretty terrible. Not so much in that one. Yeah, but in I guess a lot maybe of... in some of the you know some of the stuff with the subs, but you know, generally I think that one looks pretty good. It's when they went to Moonraker and they were trying to capitalize on Star Wars. That movie is terrible. I just saw that I don't know like two years ago at like Christmas. It was on. You know, they always do like the Bond. Marathons oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. I stopped to watch it and uh, oh yeah, the Twenty Five Days of Bond or something yes. like that. Yeah, and um, we're catching it, and it was like, wow, this is like almost unwatchable although one of the cool things in it is uh he he does like the um there's a, a moment where bond goes up and he's got this like the code to the keypad and he does the keypad and it is literally the uh the notes from uh close encounters wow and i don't even remember that from watching it from when i was a kid just i just picked that up this last you know this last viewing well i mean if you don't like it how often are you revisiting it so now did i catch yeah, it never i haven't seen that's funny too because you probably went into this is the worst one that you watch i'm going oh my god i was right because, you know, sometimes you rewatch it going, I don't know why I didn't like this one. Yeah. Because there are a lot of them that are just middle ground okay. You know, you're you're just waiting for the cool gadget to use. You don't care about anything else. Like, when is he going to use the car? Just use the car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Turn yeah. it into a submarine, goddammit. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, no, that one's that one's terrible. But, uh, yeah, The Spy Who Loved Me is fantastic. Yeah, I'd love to own one of those uh, those early Lotuses, but they need, you know, always need so much work, and you really have to be able to, like, you know, wrench on it yourself, and, right. and the parts are difficult to get, and, you know, getting in, getting into them is not so expensive, um, unless you're getting, like, a really sorted one, uh, but just keeping it going is, the, you know, is the difficult yeah. part. And no but, one wants that. But they're so cool. I mean, I guess that's why, right, I mean, Elon Musk bought the one, and that was just, that was just a static prop. Yeah. Um, but it looks so cool. I don't know why he took it out of the, you know... I guess because they were, you know, because he had it like for his development team to yeah, yeah. everyone to look at, and he had it on display. 
and for whatever reason, like two years ago, like took it out. I guess because all the financial troubles, like you spent a million dollars on this car, and I guess it looks bad to the stockholders or something. Yeah, but look how awesome that everyone should be like. You're right. We get it. The car's awesome. Yeah, you know, it was just kind of a you know showpiece for the lobby, and um, you, know, hmm. you, know, you know, he's like, that's the next thing. My next Tesla is going in water. <laughs> but I mean, he'll say it, and then it'll happen. Well, I guess it did, right? In Russia, one of those Model S's went oh, yeah. to the, right? And he used it as a boat because yeah. it like, had the turbine wheels. And yeah. he was able to get out of that flooded tunnel, you know. So there you go. You, you, see, Elon saves the day <laughs> once again. He's the only one making cool cars anymore. All right. Well, uh, that's been uh, the Eddie Furlong update. <laughs> yes. The Eddie Furlong episode. Don't. Uh, we're going to do a sub-podcast called Furlonging Ooh. for Eddie. There you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's... Oh, uh Follow us, uh, because John Robert on Instagram, because John Rob on Twitter, SoundCloud. Uh, follow Jason's car uh, Instagram, Wired Coyote nine twenty eight, and that's been post apocalyptic. This is Rob. This is Jason. Take it easy. <laughs>